0: our uh, study this week as we're following along uh, the readings that the, uh, the Jewish people do through the first five books of the Bible uh, in one year. It's what we're doing. And I've got for you listed. There's notes on the tables. There's a few more, I think, on the chair back there in the back. If you need one, raise your hand. There might be a few extras on some tables here. Uh, So the section today is technically uh, Exodus 18 verse 1 through chapter 20 verse 23. Don't get too scared yet. Then there's this other section that's called the extra reading um, and it's in Isaiah 6 1 through 7 6 and chapter 9 verses 5 and 6. That's in there. Uh, I've got that listed there for you for just extra study for you to look at this week and and uh, study through. Um, I've got another section in these notes in Isaiah that we're going to look at that is not that one. I just want you to understand that wasn't a mistake. That's uh, the actual reading that they follow. Uh, so that's there for your extra study. And then in the New Testament, we've got Matthew chapter 5 verses 1 through 20. So as we get into this, I want to share with you that there are uh, at least two, in my opinion, phenomenal uh, parallels in this story and what we will find also in the New Testament that's just absolutely amazing. Uh, Our God is amazing. Amen? Uh, So it shouldn't come as a surprise. But, um, but it, is, it is true nonetheless. So what we're going to do is we're actually going to jump down to verse 9 in our, uh, as we look at this. And as Susan shared with us, these are named after the first main uh, sentence or idea that you find in these sections. It's how they name the sections of Scripture that they're studying. And it's, it's actually, it is Jethro. It's, it is pronounced Jethro because in Hebrew there's not a J sound. So, uh, just to be honest to the original language, it, it is Yitro. Um, But we're going to pick up in, uh, in verse 9 down through verse 12 uh, to start with. So, there in your notes you'll have that. And it says, And Jethro rejoiced for all the good that the Lord had done to Israel, in that he had delivered them out of the hand of the Egyptians. Jethro said, Blessed be the Lord who has delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of Pharaoh, and has delivered the people from under the hands of the Egyptians. Now I know that the Lord is greater than all gods, because in this affair they dealt arrogantly with the people. And Jethro, Moses' father in law, brought a burnt offering and sacrifices to God, and Aaron came with all the elders of Israel to eat bread with Moses' father-in-law before God. So uh, I'm praying now, and I know you agree with me, that God's going to honor the reading of His Word today. Amen? Uh, But obviously, we're going to read a lot of passages this morning. So here's what I want you to notice. And I do have this, I believe, in your notes there under a note, is that this verse 11 in the original Hebrew looks like it's an incomplete statement. It just kind of stops. Uh, it's not. Um, it's translated here like it's one sentence, but in the original Hebrew, it just kind of stops, and it seems like it's it's incomplete. Um, and this in this verse eleven, there's this word here for that is translated dealt arrogantly, and in the original Hebrew, it would be pronounced zuud. But um, this is what it means. It means to boil, boil up, seethe, act proudly, act presumptuously, act rebelliously, to be presumptuous, be arrogant, or be uh, rebelliously proud. Uh, It's the idea that um, Pharaoh and the people of Egypt were boiling up within themselves with this incredible arrogance and proud in the way they dealt with the people of Israel. And the reason I brought this out is because this verse in all of the studies I was doing and reading, um, the, uh, the, the if you will, the, the Jewish perspective on what's going on here, This is one area where they come up with a teaching, and we do find it in Scripture. It's not... I don't think it's wrong uh, with this idea of God dealing with people measure for measure. Uh, We know it today in a common slang of you reap what you sow, right? I mean, that's very common today and that we don't have an an issue with that, Um, but... It's this idea that God deals with His people and with all people, with creation, with measure for measure. Uh, We see this in the negative, and we also see it in the positive. Uh, It comes like uh, when He told Abraham, you know, He said, I will bless those that bless you and curse those that curse you. In this issue with Egypt... Uh, we see that in this verse that Egypt received measure for measure what they put upon Israel. If you'll remember what we just got through studying with them coming out of Egypt and going through the Red Sea, they feared the people of Israel because of their numbers. And therefore, they killed the male children by, uh, in the river by drowning them. They wanted to control their population because of military, monetary, and cultural issues. We've talked about that. Uh, Israel would not assimilate, and they said, what are we going to do? If there's a war, they're going to side with our enemies and come and attack us. So we need to deal with the population and try to get them to assimilate. In other words, it's a cultural, military, and even monetary issue of what they were dealing with. Um, And so they killed the male children by drowning them in the river. Uh, This process brought the total destruction of the nation, their military, monetary, and cultural dominance, along with the strength of their male children, or their male fighting force being drowned in the sea, while Israel was saved by that same sea. Um, This concept of measure for measure becomes an issue as it relates to the way Uh, God dealt with Egypt and the way, watch this, the way that God will deal with the world in the future. As I was reading this, I was really overcome uh, with conviction and um, sorrow in this section when I remembered, you know, we just finished the book of Revelation and dealt with all of that stuff and that it's estimated that by the time you get to the millennial kingdom, um, about three-fourths or more of the world population will be dead and gone. There's 7.6 billion people living on the earth today. That's a lot of death and destruction by wars and famines and demonic activities and all that stuff that will be happening. Um, I want to continue on here with my notes so I don't get off track because there's so much to cover here. <clears throat> uh, this idea, and I'll, I'll try to explain that a little bit better here in just a minute. We see this idea of measure for measure uh, also explained by the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 1. I don't have that verse there for you, but you can go look at it later. Um, and in Romans chapter 1, the Apostle Paul says three times in very close proximity uh, the, God's attitude towards the people that knew better and still rebelled against him. And he says three times God gave them up. What, what he's saying there is that God removes his hand and basically says, so that's the way you want to go? I'm going to take my restraining hand off of you and I'm going to let you chase your own desires. And with that, you will receive the just punishment Um, over and over again, God told the people of Israel not to worship him the way the pagans worship their gods, because he remembers what they did with those practices. Here's where the connection between this story with Egypt, the people of Israel and what's coming becomes important. Uh, because we need to read our Scriptures how? In context. We need to let Scripture interpret Scripture. We need to understand the simple surface meanings of the words first before you start to try to interpret it with all these metaphorical, uh, spiritualized meanings. Doesn't mean that those can't be applied, but those are secondary to the simple surface meaning of the words. Uh, that's just proper hermeneutics. That's what they teach you in seminary. Um, This will become, I think, more apparent as we continue to look at these passages. Um, God told them, you don't do this and you you don't worship me the way they worship their gods. And then he tells them why. He says, because he remembers what they did with those things and that they even killed their own children in these pagan practices. He's saying, I remember what that was connected with, even if you don't. I remember what it was connected with, therefore don't worship me that way. And that becomes a problem for the people of Israel. It's it's amazing. Um, We also see in this story with Egypt, there is this prominence of the issue of killing the baby boys. God says, look. Israel is my firstborn. You need to let them go. If you don't, I'm going to deal with your firstborn. Uh, And he's remembering what happened. And they wouldn't. And then they came to kill him. And God says, fine. You have to remember now, who was in the army that got consumed by the sea? It was what was left of Egypt's strength. And he kills them all by drowning them the same way that Egypt killed the male children of Israel by drowning them. Uh, Let me continue on. Let's look at this next verse. And now I'm going to tie all this together here in a minute. In Exodus 19 verse 1, it says, on the third new moon, after the people of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, on that day, they came into the wilderness of Sinai. Once again, nothing is in here by accident. Nothing is in your Bible by accident. So you go, okay, so why is he stating here that it's at the, fir- it's at the first of the month and it's on this particular day when they come into the land of Israel? Uh, let me explain it to you this way real quickly. Passover happens, the Passover meal happens on Nisan 14. On Nisan 15 which starts at sundown, is the beginning of the feast of unleavened bread that lasts for one week. On the 15th, that's the day they left Egypt. Following me? So they leave the next morning after the Passover meal that night, the angel of death comes, kills all the firstborn that don't have the blood, and they leave and Egypt kicks them out, and they take the spoils of Egypt with them. So they leave on the 15th. The next month in the Hebrew calendar, and they're all 30 days, um, is a year. The next month is the month of Sivan. That month, Sivan, is their third month, just like March for us is our third month. Following me? So in here it says it's the third month. It doesn't mean that it's been 90 days since they left. That's what I want you to pick up on in reading this in context. He's saying it is now the third month. It's the, and anyways, it's the third month. So how long has it been technically since they left? 45 days. I mean, we, it's been 45 days. We know that. It's been 45 days. It's now the first of the month. It's 45 days. Why is that important? Because as you continue to read the story, they arrive in the wilderness there at Mount Sinai. It's been 45 days. So what happens? They get there. Moses goes up on the mountain. He talks with God. God says, this is what you're going to go down there and tell the people. He goes back down the mountain. He tells the people, this is what God said. And they go, everything God said, we will do, we will listen. He goes back up on the mountain. He says, hey, God, they said they're good to go. God tells him some more and he goes, okay, I'm going to go back down the mountain. And he goes back down the mountain. He's 80 years old, by the way. He goes back down the mountain. He goes, hey, God said da-da-da-da-da-da. We'll get to that in just a second. And they go, okay. So he goes back and he goes, God, they're ready. He goes like, okay. So then what happens is we have this... The giving of the, the Torah, the Ten Commandments, <clears throat> the giving of the Ten Commandments. And technically, it's ten words. Yeah. Our underst- it, anyways, it's, the, it's called the ten words of what he gave, these things that he spoke. We categorize them as ten commandments. But anyways, that's a whole other... Th- I just want you to understand something. It, this is going to become important as a parallel in the New Testament. It's It's, it's amazing. So what happens is God comes down on the mountain in a cloud and he gives them the Ten Commandments. When did that happen? Fifty days after they left Egypt. Why is that important? Because it's the Feast of Pentecost. Or the Hebrew would be Shavuot. They didn't experience the feast of first fruits as they were leaving because first fruits always falls on a Sunday within that week of unleavened bread. It's always on a Sunday. Jesus, Yeshua, was raised on first fruits that Sunday. Okay? Pentecost is measured 50 days from first fruits. 50 days. That's why I want you to see this, because when it says this, it was, it's the first of the month. This is when they're there. And this is, there, there's a reason why you're told when they showed up, because it, it's all important. God doesn't do anything by accident. You following me there? So I know that was, we spent a lot of time on that, but I just want you to understand what's happening and why that's important, um, because your Acts chapter 2, Pentecost... Moment is a reenactment of what happened here at Mount Sinai. They're there at Pentecost, and what happens? The Spirit comes down, they hear this route, this loud rushing wind, tongues of fire, and they hear the gospel in their own language, even though these people are from all over the world, but it's one of the pilgrimage. Feast. They had to be there. That's why there was a crowd. And God reenacts it as the Spirit is being poured out and He's doing what? Writing His law on our hearts. Absolutely amazing. So He, he has His people and He has us do things for a reason. Okay. So let's jump down now because it says in uh, Exodus 19 verses 4 and 6, He says, you yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples. For the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you are to speak to the people of Israel. When you jump down to verse 7, that's when Moses goes down there and he tells them and they say, everything he said, we will do. Technically in the Hebrew, it says, everything God said, we will do and we will listen. That's how it's phrased in the Hebrew. Uh, And so that's what they say to him, And they say, we will do. Here's what you need to understand. When they said that, they moved into a covenantal marriage contract with God. They basically said, I do. And God goes, great. I'm going to show you the marriage certificate. And I'm going to write it on your heart. I'm going to reveal it to you. That's what's about to happen. But did you notice anything in that phrase there that sound familiar? If indeed you will obey my voice and keep my covenant, you will be my treasured possession, and you will be what? A kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Does that sound familiar? It should. Look at First Peter uh, chapter 2, verse 5. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ that we are being built up into this spiritual house, this spiritual temple to bring praises to God and to reveal who He is. He continues on down in verse 9 of that same chapter and says, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for His own possession, that you may proclaim the excellences of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. Peter is referencing this event. You have to go back to, to, that, um, to 1 Peter chapter 1 and find out who he's talking to. We don't have time now. You should know because we just studied it. He's talking to the ten lost tribes. He literally says that. He, he says, to, to you that are exiled and scattered abroad, part of the, the despora. Um, and so he's, he's reminding them and reminding us what? We are being built into this spiritual house, and we are what? We are supposed to be a holy nation, a people for his own possession, a royal priesthood. That's who we are when we come into faith. If you continue on to the next verse, this is something else that becomes extremely interesting. In verses 10 through 12, he says, Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you, look at this, as sojourners and exiles. Remember, you go back to chapter 1, he's going to tell you who he's talking to, and here's why he says, As you are sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul, look at this, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak Against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. He's telling them, live out your faith properly, because this goes right back to what God said originally. This is what you're supposed to be for me. And as you live your life, you're going to bring glory and honor to me. That's what he's describing. Uh, Then when you get... uh, Let me me, uh, interject something here. Well, let's go on and look at this next verse. In uh, Romans 9, verses 24 and 26. This is the Apostle Paul, and he says, Even us, whom he has called, not from the Jews only, but also from the Gentiles, as indeed, he says, in where? Hosea. That's what Peter was also referencing when he said, Once you were not a people, but now you are a people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. This is uh, Paul repeating this. And he says, those who were not my people, I will call my people. And her who was not beloved, I will call beloved. And in the very place where I was said to them, you are not my people. There they will be called sons of the living God. When you jump back just a couple of verses in verse 17, it says, for the scripture says to Pharaoh, for this very purpose, I have raised you up that I might show you my my power in you, and that by my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. Paul and Peter are making a reference and a connection back to the Mount Sinai event, and they're also making a connection with the prophecies in Hosea. Are you seeing that? They're both referencing that, And reminding us today that we are to be a kingdom of priests, a holy nation a people belonging to God. And it is all connected back to the Mount Sinai event. That's what he said to Israel. This is what you're going to be for me. But then there's also this connection in Hosea because he told Hosea, this is what I want you to name your children, Hosea. We've talked about this before. He said Hosea was a prophet to the 10 northern tribes. He was an example of Israel. Meaning, when I say that, the house of Israel, those ten northern tribes, you have the house of Judah, that's the two southern tribes, southern kingdom, if you will. And he said, you're going to marry a harlot. How'd you like God to tell you that? This is, you're going to go out and you're going to marry a harlot. She's going to have children, and they're not going to be yours. And this is what you're going to name them. You're going to name one of them, not my people. And you're going to name the other, no mercy. And this is why, and he's referencing the the prophecy of Hosea saying, the people that were called, not my people, and the people that were called hadn't received mercy or not beloved, those very people will be called eventually my people and those whom I will shed mercy upon. That's good news, amen? And Paul is making that connection even to us. So in this, we need to ask ourselves, well, just exactly what is really going on here? Um, This is where I've got this listed for you here in Hosea 1, verses 8 and 9. He says, When she had weaned no mercy, she conceived and bore a son, and the Lord said, call his name, not my people, for you are not my people, and I am not your God. My goodness. And these are the people that God issued a divorce decree to because they acted like a harlot. You tracking with all that? So then we have to ask ourselves, well, <clears throat> if Peter and Paul are making a connection in the New Testament to these prophecies in Hosea, dealing with the people of the ten northern tribes, the, the northern kingdom of Israel, the house of Israel, what in the world were they doing that made God name these children, not my people and no mercy, and that we can associate with that, and that we are also now a kingdom of priests, a holy nation of people belonging to God. That's what Peter's telling us. And uh, and that's what we are. So we, t- the only way to know is you got to go read and find out what they were doing. So this is why I've got this listed for you here in Isaiah 65 verses one through seven. I skipped around a little bit just for time because we don't have enough time to to read the whole section. It says, uh, starting in verse one, it says, "I was ready to be sought by those who do not, who did not ask for me. I was ready to be found by those who did not seek me. I said." Here I am, here I am, to a nation that was not called by my name. I spread out my hands all the day to a rebellious people who walk in a way that is not good, following their own devices, a people who provoke me to my face continually, sacrificing in gardens and making offerings on bricks, who sit in the tombs and spend the night in secret places, who eat pig's flesh, "...and broth of tainted meat is in their vessels, who say, Keep to yourself, do not come nearer to me, for I am too holy for you. There they; These are a smoke in my nostrils, a fire that burns all day long. Behold, it is written before me, I will not keep silent, but I will repay. I will indeed repay into their lap both your iniquities and your father's iniquities together, says the Lord, because they made offerings on the mountains." and insulted me on the hills. I will measure into their lap payment for their former deeds. Here's where I want you to... I'm going to stop there just for a second. I want you to see what they were doing, but I also want you to see what he says there because this is the other connection. When I was studying all this, I was like, Lord, I really don't want to talk about this. But the connections were too strong. He says in here, he says, I will what? Measure. I'm going to measure into their lap payment For their former deeds. It's this concept once again of measure for measure. You you following that? And that's why God judged them and scattered them. Uh, When you jump down to verse 11, it says, But you who forsake the Lord, who forget my holy mountain, who has set a table for fortune and filled cups mixed with wine for destiny, I will destine you to the sword. And all of you shall bow down to the slaughter because when I called you did not answer, when I spoke you did not listen, but you did what was evil in my eyes and chose what I did not delight in. So I'm reading all these things and I'm thinking about this issue of measure for measure. I'm remembering everything that we had studied. We just spent whatever it was, 6 months or longer in the book of Revelation. <clears throat> We decided that we would start following these studies and uh, and see where this takes us through Exodus, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy uh, until October. Um, and I'm, I'm just remembering all of our studies, and I'm remembering that we're learning that what has happened will happen, what happened to the fathers will happen to the children, and that God has told us the end of the matter from the very beginning, and all these things, and we see these patterns constantly through the scriptures and what's really cool I want to end on a good note today uh, when, when we get into the book of Matthew this this parallel between the Mount Sinai event is just it just gives me goosebumps I'm like wow uh, but I'm sitting there going okay so there's all these connections and Peter and Paul are making these connections and it's tied to Hosea and tied to what they were doing and they're connecting us with that today with What has happened, and there's always been something in my mind about the book of Revelation that I still was struggling with, even as we went through our study. And it's this simple I know that when Jesus comes back, he's going to fulfill those fall feasts that we've been talking about, and that's what that book is really about. But I always thought, I mean, why do so many people just have to die these horrendous deaths? I mean, God could just go, I'm going to speak. Sheep go over here, goats go over there. We're all done. Why is it that there has to be such mass destruction during that horrible time? Why do so many people need to die, Some of them these horrible deaths? And I had an aha moment with this study, and it it broke my heart. I just I literally I got up this morning. I said, Lord, I don't want to talk about this. I thought about skipping it. Because I didn't want to talk about it. And I had uh, about three confirmations this morning. No, you're going to talk about it. And I went, okay. You know what the current U.S. population is? You know what the population in America is today? Three hundred and twenty-four million people. You know what the total number of abortions in America alone is since Roe versus Wade? Mm-mm. Sixty million babies. Twenty percent of our current US population since Roe versus Wade has been murdered. 60 million. I did some more research. You know what the total global population is currently? I just told you. (laughs) 7.6 billion with a B. Since 1980, you know how many abortions have been done? 1.5 billion globally. Once again... Interesting enough, 20% of the total global population babies have been murdered since 1980. Every single one of those babies had a marker in them with the very name of God. It's imprinted on our DNA. We could spend about an hour talking about that it is undeniable that it is there. There's this molecule that literally holds, this chemical that literally holds all of our molecules together, together called laminin in our body and it's literally in the shape of a cross. Go research it. I could go on and on. All of this stuff that's holding us together is in the very numerical value of yod hey vav hey in our physical body to be human is to be a reflection of God himself when he said I'm going to make man in our image God over and over and over again has a heart for the children Jesus said suffer not the little children to come unto me for such is the kingdom of heaven that's not just a metaphor in James he tells us none of this is in your notes this part In James, he said, this is pure and undefiled religion that your Father in heaven is glorified with or pleased with. What is it? That we visit widows and orphans in their distress and keep ourselves unstained from the world. It is just that simple. To care for the weak and needy and the children and to keep ourselves unstained from the world. And watch this. Why are all these babies being murdered? The exact same reason as Egypt, but we are silent. As a matter of fact, we've become numb to it, haven't we? Because it's been going on as long as I've been an adult. And we go, you know, what, what are we going to do? What, how, how do we stop this? And I thought to myself, I said, you know, I've preached against it. I've never been for it. And I've told everybody I've ever met talking about it. I was like, it's It's murder. I've heard and I've had Christians tell me that God led them to have an abortion. Yeah. Um, they are killed, watch this, for monetary reasons and cultural reasons, and yes, even military reasons. You have to get into the politics of abortion to figure this out. There's also a reason why the globalists hate Trump because he's trying to put conservative Supreme Court justices in there that are against Roe versus Wade. Why do they hate that? It's really simple. When you really don't believe in the God of the Bible, He's this universal God that can go by any name. He's not really Yahovah. He's just, I don't know, Lord, which means Baal. And you really don't care about the sanctity of life or really believe that the Bible is true and that Genesis is true and that the Torah is relevant and on and on and on and the sanctity of life really doesn't matter, then if everything becomes real simple, Look, we got to call the herd because we don't have enough money and food to feed them all. And we also need everybody to coexist so that we can have a one world government and stop war. Meaning, we need people to assimilate. They are the exact same reasons why Egypt did it. And we have been silent. There are people that march. We have a family here that is very active in it. and I praise the Lord for their involvement in fighting against abortion. But how many of us have actually gone out there and marched? How many of us have sacrificed our jobs, well-being? How many of us have bled to try to stop this from happening? How many of us in the church have, have had enough and said, look, We're going to stop buying your garbage until you stop this. We're going to turn the TV off. We're going to get everybody to boycott everything we can until you stop this atrocity. We haven't. You know what we've done? We've assimilated. And we wonder why When the book of Revelation really unfolds, billions die. I believe it's because of measure for measure. And God's going to say, I know you thought you were real good. I'm going to show you what was really in your heart. And I have to tell you, I was sitting in my office at home And I just wept. And I thought, dear God, have mercy even on me because I don't think I've done enough. That's sobering, isn't it? We need to continue. I've got about 15 minutes to cover a lot of stuff here. Um, Just think about that and, and our involvement and our willingness To do whatever is necessary to fight against this abomination before God Almighty. Abortion is murder. I don't care what. I'll talk to anybody about it. I believe it's murder. And that's what it should be called. And when we murder babies because uh, we don't want to be inconvenienced. And we think we can't afford to raise them. Therefore, let's just kill them. We're acting like Pharaoh. Um, I think every single one of us should try to do everything we can to bring it down. Scream at the top of our lungs. Go without. I I don't know what it would take. Take all of our TVs and throw them out in the street. I don't know. But until you get their attention, everybody's just going to keep doing what they're doing until we say enough's enough. And if we don't say enough's enough, then guess what? You and I are complicit. But there's, no, there's no way around it. I'm sorry, there's other things flying through my head. The, all the people in the northern tribes of Israel, that, this is what they were doing. They were murdering their babies to these gods. But here's the deal. Do we honestly think that every single one of them were doing that? Well, no, they weren't. Weren't there some good godly people there? Of course there were. We just studied also Daniel. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and Daniel, you know, those guys. Were those good godly guys? Now, that's the southern tribes. They end up going to Babylon. Were they good people? Of course they were good people. Did they get sucked up into the judgment of God on the nation? Yes, they did. Did they survive? Yes, they did by faith. But guess what? They got sucked up in it because the nation was at fault. It was a national issue. Therefore, the nation had to be dealt with. This is a national abomination. We voted in politicians that voted in this to become law. We didn't do enough to overturn it. There's no way around it. You ready for something a little bit more positive? <laughs> um, this is, but this is another connection to Hosea. But this is, fairly, this is extremely interesting. When you jump to uh, Exodus 19, verses um, 10 and 11, it says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow, and let them wash their garments and be ready for the third day. For on the third day, the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. It's on the third day. Well, guess what? There's another connection to Hosea. It's right there in your notes. In Hosea chapter 6, verse 2, it says, After two days He will revive us. On the third day He will raise us up that we may live before Him. This, once again, is in the book of Hosea. On the third day. Not the fourth day, not the second day, not the fifth day, not the seventh day, not the sixth day. On the th- Why the third day? Look at this. In Exodus 19, verses 15 through 16, it says, and he said to the people, be ready for the third, be ready for the third day. In other words, watch, sanctify yourselves, separate yourselves, go through the process of sanctification. Isn't that what's happening with us here now as we wait for the Lord to return? Day by day, we're being sanctified, separated unto God, growing closer to Him in holiness, hopefully. And they were to watch for and be ready for the third day. It says, don't go near a woman, meaning stay away from sexual relations. It says, on the morning of the third day, there were thunders and lightnings and thick cloud on the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast so that all the people in the camp, trembled. And this happened on the third day. Peter tells us that a thousand years is like a day to the Lord, right? And he's been gone how long? Two days. And he'll come back and reign for a thousand years? One day, third day. Got a little clip I want you to see here. It's, uh, I've always enjoyed this, and uh, it's just about four minutes long. Watch this. I've always enjoyed uh, this particular version of um, uh, the story about Moses. Uh, and one of the reasons is because here in this scene, I believe, is honestly depicted. Uh, because what they heard was this loud trumpet sound, like we've already read, or we're going to, we just read. Uh, and that uh, they all heard the word of God themselves. Uh, And this is one reason why they will use the shofar uh, to to this very day, because they say it's the closest sound that resembles literally the voice of God that they heard on that day. And that when they heard this, it scared them. It scared them. Uh, And they said, we would really rather listen to Moses. Moses, you go talk to him. And then you tell us what he says, because that was just too scary. Um, And so that's what happens. But it happened on the morning of that third day. So, uh, and I wanted you to see that because I I just, I'm a visual guy. uh, And to me, it was just um, really cool. And And I hope you were blessed by that and you could learn something from that. There's a few more verses that I want you to see on this issue of the third day. And these are not all of them. There's more in your Bible that you could go chase. But in 2 Kings 20 verse 5, it says, Turn back and say to Hezekiah, the leader of the people, Thus says the Lord, the God of David your father, I have heard your prayer. I have seen your tears. Behold, I will heal you. On the third day you shall go up to the house of the Lord. Which also tells me, if you think about it, like what I just got through describing to you, with us as a nation and the people globally, and this whole thing with abortion. We just need to repent. God's about to come back, and I think on the third day, and He'll heal us. But we need to repent. We need to do what we can to, to fight against it, and not be just complacent about it. In John chapter 2, verse 1, watch this. On the third day, there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. That, this is the first miracle that Jesus performed when He turned the water into wine at, watch this, a wedding, and where are we headed? To the wedding feast of the Lamb, the wedding of the Lamb. Uh, We've been invited to the wedding, uh, and Jesus shows up at a wedding, when? On the third day. You see, none of this is by accident. And He performs His first uh, public miracle, uh, starting, if you will, His public ministry, here on the third day. Interesting, huh? These correlations. You also see down in Genesis chapter 2, verse 4, it's when Abraham saw the the place where he was going to offer up Isaac on his way up there, and he sees it on the third day, which once again we know is a foreshadowing of Yeshua dying on the cross for us. And Abraham sees it On the third day, folks, I'm just telling you that there's none of this by accident. I remember some 20, 30 plus years ago and reading this in Hosea going, that's kind of odd. And here it is a prophecy about the people of Israel and God coming to them and restoring them. But he's like, on the third day, this is what this is going to happen. And he says, and it's going to happen after two days. Isn't that fascinating? And that the people of the northern tribes of Israel, uh, it's, it's well into that third day for them if you calculate it all out. Now then I want to jump to this other section because this is just really, really cool. I'm going to have to fly through here because we've just got a few minutes. We don't have to read this whole section here in, in Exodus 20 verses uh, 1 through 18. This is the Ten Commandments. It's one that we should be fairly familiar with. And I want you to see here in verse 1 it says... And God spoke all these words, saying, This is the section here where the Hebrew people refer to this as the 10 words that God spoke. And here's what's interesting about the 10 commandments. Did you know there are different versions? Did you know that? If you go and look at a Protestant version of the 10 commandments, and a Catholic version of the 10 commandments, and a Hebrew version of the 10 commandments, they're all going to be numbered a little different. Little off. Um, Well, it's a little bit easier to understand if we'll give up on trying to count it too much and and think of it as ten commandments because there are multiple words in here. There are ten commandments that he gives, but multiple phrases. And actually, there's about eleven phrases, if you will. Prominent phrases or distinctions. The first one is, "I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt." out of the house of slavery. And then we also know, because we've been talking about this, technically it says, I am Yahovah, your Elohim. The Lord is a title, and it really distracts us from understanding what He's really saying. He says, I am Yahovah, the unique one, your Elohim, that brought you out of Egypt. And then He gives them these Ten Commandments. And there's around a couple of these examples, if you will, are an expansion of what that means as far as not having other gods, not making, in other words, not making idols and bowing down to worship them. So he just, he kind of describes that. And then when you get to the Sabbath one, which is the fourth commandment, uh, he describes that a little bit. And then he gives them these 10 commandments. Well, I want to jump ahead with that because that's, that's a passage of scripture we're all pretty familiar with. Hopefully you are. Uh, I want you to jump to Matthew chapter 5, and it's verses 1 through 20. This comparison is absolutely mind-boggling. This first part is what we typically know as what the Beatitudes. When Jesus is teaching, watch this, on a mountain. Fascinating. As a matter of fact, look at the very first thing. I, I wanted us to talk about all that other stuff. I wanted you to see that event and remember that God said, on the third day, I'm going to come down on the mountain in a thick cloud and I'm going to speak to you. You, you following that? Now watch what Jesus does about 2,000 years ago. Verse 1, seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain. And when he sat down, his disciples came to him. So he goes up on a mountain and sits down. I'm telling you, Jesus didn't do one thing by chance. He is acting out everything. Every word that he said, every action that he took, every step he made was for a reason. He goes up on the mountain and sits down. And then he gives them what we know as the Beatitudes. And it says once he's sat down, that's when the, his disciples come to him what, to hear what he's going to teach. Israel ends up at the mountain and God says, don't let them come up here. He's, Moses, I told them not to. You said we couldn't. He says, don't let them get near. He goes back down and he says, look, I told you guys don't get near Back off, he goes back up, and then all of a sudden he comes back down. They sanctify themselves for two days, and then God comes down on the mountain and reveals and teaches them his truth, teaches teaches them these Ten Commandments and speaks to them in a way that they can understand it. So you get into this, and while I read this, I want you to put, if you will, a number by each one, and I want you to see something. So in verse 2, it says, And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Number one, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Number two, blessed are those that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Number three, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Number four, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Number five, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Number six, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Number seven, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Number eight, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Number nine, blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You have to get past the numerical system in your Bible and the subheadings. Jesus didn't stop here and go, okay, now I'm going to change thoughts. The subheadings are fine if you're looking for something, but they can mess you up when you're reading it. You need to read it all in context. So we just keep reading. Number 10, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its taste, how will the saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown and trampled under people's feet. And number 11, you are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, you let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. Did you see that? So there are actually how many sayings? In the Ten Commandments, there's actually 11. He starts off with, I am Yahovah, your God, who brought you out of Egypt, delivered you from the house of slavery. Therefore, now then, Ten Commandments on, this is how you're to do, and this is how you're to come and worship me, and this is how you're to treat other people. Jesus goes up on a mountain. He sits down on the mountain, and the people come to Him, and He gives them 11 statements. You tracking with that? Is that not incredible? He's reenacting, watch this, he's reenacting the Mount Sinai event. Why? He's God. He was there. Now what is fascinating is you have to what? Keep reading because after he's done that, he says, do not think. Now it's changed. Before he's like, he's saying, this is you, this is you, this, blessed are you in this, blessed are you in that. You're the salt of the earth. You're the light of the world. Da, 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 da. Why is that? Because you're to do all these, these things and let your light shine in such a way that when they see your good works, they're going to glorify your father in heaven. God told Israel, you're to be a, a light to the nations, basically. You're to uh, live your life in such a way that you will proclaim my excellencies as you are my people. And then he follow, Jesus follows the same paradigm with this statement. Do not think I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. Huh. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth passes, uh, passes away, not an iota, or a dot, not a jot or tittle in some of your translations, will pass on the law until all is accomplished. We already know that everything hasn't been accomplished yet. And he goes, Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never get into the kingdom of heaven. Is that not amazing? In other words, when he made that statement, and we've talked about that extensively here and explained why all of the Scriptures apply to our lives today where appropriate. And everybody freaks out and you go, listen, you're already keeping most of the Torah anyway. The only things you're not probably keeping are the ones that you were, you were told are Jewish and they're not Jewish. We've been over all that. Um... But here's what I want you to see. We have to stop cherry picking passages and yanking them out of context because when we do that, we also miss the overall meaning of what it is saying and what, in this case, what Jesus is describing here. He gives them a a picture. He did for, for them what I did for you on a screen. They didn't have movies they lived it out. And these people that were there with him had that image in their minds because they talked about it every Sabbath. It was talked about at every Passover. They were very familiar with this whole story of the Mount Sinai event and going through the Red Sea and all the stuff that we've talked about this morning. And Jesus lives this out for them. He gives them the exact number, same number of statements, if you will, or words, 11 of them. God gave them 11 basic statements. I'm God. Now then, da-da-da-da-da-da-da. And he gives them then these 10 commandments. And Jesus gives 11 statements. Then he says, and by the way... Because I'm here, I'm not here to do away with that. As a matter of fact, everything that that says is talking about me. And I'm here to fulfill it all. But guess what? If you're mine, you're still in a marriage covenant contract with me. It does you don't get to get married to me and then go live like a heathen or a harlot not acceptable. You want to be in my house? That's fine. I have rules and I don't like pagan rules in my house. Sounds kind of logical, doesn't it? Um, I just thought that that comparison was absolutely fascinating how that Jesus literally lived it out. I was sitting there looking at all this and some studies that I went through took me here and I went, I just wonder No, 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 really? You're kidding me. And then I'm sitting there going, oh, now wait a minute. He went up and sat down on a mountain. God came down on the mountain. God came down on the mountain and explained to them in a way that they could understand it, his teachings and instructions. Jesus sits down on a mountain and he gives them these teachings and instructions. And by the way, if you want to chase it out, all of these beatitudes and everything else, you can find right there in the Torah. The comparison there is absolutely mind-boggling when you start looking at it and then start making some connections. And you go, oh, wow, okay. So then he did the same thing, and then he followed that by saying, and by the way, I didn't come to do away with, if you will, Mount Sinai. I didn't come to do away with it. I came to fulfill it, which means to shed the proper light on it so that everybody can understand it. And most of the church today has been confused and lied to by the devil himself by telling you there's certain parts of the Bible just doesn't work, you, you know, whatever, and then you can apply this this way, and you just follow whatever's in your heart, and sin is, you know, when you go against your heart and all that kind of stuff. Y- y- y'all realize that's a lie straight out of the pit of hell? My heart, the Scripture says, is, is exceedingly wicked. Who can understand it? If I follow my heart, is not good. Anybody here other than me, can you get wound up at times? Everybody except, I know you guys never do. But anybody here, can, I mean, I can get a little wound up and think something I shouldn't think. Y'all probably don't, but, you know, and Betty, she's, she's exempt. But, um, but I can. My heart can stick its ugly head up and I go, oh, wow, I am not good. And I go, thank you, Jesus, for your grace and mercy and forgiveness and dying on the cross for me so that I could have an opportunity to have a relationship with you based on what you did for me on the cross, not what I do physically. That's the truth of the matter. But how are we going to know how to live our lives if we're told, well, that's not really a pattern. It's just kind of like, well, they're just general ideas, kind of like in the movie Pirates of the Caribbean, you know, the... They're just kind of general guidelines. They're not hard and fast rules. Well, that's kind of what you and I have been told. And that's ridiculous. He said, these are what I want you to live by, and they're not burdensome. They're, They're how you are to live and to live an abundant life, walking with me, filled with grace and mercy and life. They are life. They are your delight. They are your guide on how to, Be successful. How to treat your wife and how to treat your kids and how to get along and how to love God and how to be literally successful in every aspect of our lives. And I'm reading all this and I'm going, man, God, you are awesome. Because you've painted a picture and then you repainted it again. And then you said, I did all that so that you'll know that I'm about to paint it again again. And I've told you all this so that when it gets painted again, for real, then because you understand these things, you'll be ready. I'm going to go ahead and go there, but you've been told there's going to be a pre-trib rapture. Therefore, you don't have to worry about all this stuff. You're just going to get sucked out of here and everything's going to be fine. I'm not banking on it because I don't think you can find it in Scripture. And if that works, then that means the Laodicean church is going to get raptured out of here and not get purified. You don't find that in Scripture. You just don't find that pattern in Scripture. What we find is God saying, listen, I'm going to come. This is what's amazing. He goes, I'm going to come. And when am I going to come? On the third day. I'm going to tell you explicitly. I'm going to come on the third day. And here's what I need you to do for those two days. I need you to sanctify yourselves and get ready because I'm going to come. For 2,000 years now, we're, we should have been sanctifying ourselves, getting ready for this third day when He's going to come and reign and rule on the earth for a 1,000 years, which is equivalent to one day. Because He's going to come at the start of that 1,000 years, right? Which is in the morning of the third day. It's, not, it's really not a mystery when we just read it in context and don't dissect the Scriptures and pluck pieces out and go, yeah, you know, and just take verses out of context and apply. I'm going to apply this, but I'm not going to apply that. And I'm going to apply this, but I'm not going to apply that. When we just read it and go, wow, well, it's just a common thread here and it all makes sense. And God loves us so much that He crossed eternity to die on the cross so that He could remarry us and move into this covenantal relationship with us and then we can do that Because of what he did, not what we do, but what we do now displays what he did. Oh, that's what it's all about? Oh, okay. I thought it was just blind obedience. No, he says, I want you to live this way so that when people see your good deeds living by my word, they will glorify me. And we wonder why we still have abortion. We don't look any different. We're just complacent. We don't look at, We've we've allowed this stain on our country and on our lives now for forty plus years. When will the church wake one and a half billion babies globally? For population control, monetary issues, and cultural issues more than anything else. But you're being told it's for women's health. And so we'll have Christian people marching, screaming at the president wearing goopy hats that they have a right. It's a woman's right to her own body and to kill a baby. I'm like, we've lost our minds. It's not a thing. It's a baby for crying out loud. I really wonder if we shouldn't (laughs) start a movement and say, we're going to start throwing our TVs out in the streets and we're going to stop buying your products and we're going to just start buying products from like-minded people and uh, we're not going to play your game anymore until somebody... Wakes up. Because um, as far as I know, That's the only way you can get anybody's attention, just c- cut off their paycheck. That's why I'm not watching the game today. <laughs> yeah, I went there. But I, I, I haven't been watching them all year because they keep trying to tell me that our country is systematically racist. And I'm like, you guys have lost your minds because it's not. I don't believe it is systematic. Do you have some racist people? Of course you do from every color and creed. That's the real world. But if you want to tell me that my country is systemically racist today, it's part of the law of the land, then you're smoking some kind of mushroom because you you're not dealing with the real world. Uh, and if you, know, you want to you make a statement, that's fine, but I don't have to give you any of my money and I don't have to give you any of my clicks. I don't have to let the tv programmers believe i'm watching your show and therefore the people that are selling their products on the show that's paying for your paying your paycheck they won't get the clicks that's how you're paying their that's how you're paying their bill you're giving them the click and i just wonder if we shouldn't do the same thing somehow with this whole scourge on our country and on the world with abortion because guess what Payment's coming. It's coming. Measure for measure. Our only hope, our only hope is in repentance and getting right with God. That's the only hope we've got. And somehow we've got to find a voice that will resonate with somebody and say, we have to stop this mess. Um, and we need some Supreme Court justices in there quite honestly, that have some moral convictions other than worldly. That's just my opinion. Anyhow, I'm glad you're here. Uh, I want you to be encouraged because God loves you. And he's painted this picture for us so that we can be ready and, um, and do our thing. You've, you've got a voice if you'll make it heard. Do whatever you can to make it heard. Um, because I think if we do that, God will be pleased.